The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Man stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, America. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We have a jam-packed show for you today. Today is going to be around the theme of do we protect the innocent in our society? Do we protect the most vulnerable in society? And do we have a duty to? I, of course, am your host, Jonathan Dunn. This is the show exclusive to The Blaze, where you come for the accent, but you stay for the principles. I hope you're having... I always say I hope you're having a great week, but in this crazy world, I have no idea what's going on, so hopefully you're... Hopefully, if nothing else, you're you're looking at this crazy world we live in and, and having yourself a great laugh, because there is just so much we can talk about. But today, I want to talk to you about some serious subjects. I want to talk to you about... I want to spend the vast majority of this show talking to you about defending the most innocent and most vulnerable in our society. And I want to fundamentally ask, do we have a duty and a responsibility to do that? Now, I know most of you listening will jump off and go, yes, of course we do, John. Absolutely. There's others who will listen to this as who are actually constitutionalists who go, absolutely, that is why America is different. We are about the individual. We are about the most vulnerable in society. We are not a, based on a democracy where it's the majority rules. I want to spend most of today talking to you about that, and then we want to finish up by remembering the grace, the magnificent, reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. But where to start? I don't make political statements too much. I know people say, well, of course you do. You talk about politics all the time. I don't make them in a sense of vote Republican, vote Democrat, do this, support this organization. For me, I'm not political. I think both of them suck. I talk about the principles. I talk about the history. And that's why, in my mind, I don't talk politics very much. But... Two weeks ago, I think, I made, did something that I thought I would never do. And that was I joined the NRA. I didn't know if an Irishman could join the NRA. I didn't know if that was possible. I didn't know if it was legally possible. But I did it. Now, truth be told, I'm not the biggest defender or supporter of the NRA. And I, I do have fundamental disagreements about them on a lot of issues. I, I think their arguments need to change. Um, and I think at times they appear too willing to be open to gun control. Perfect example is most recently they, they seemed open to like the bump stock and big magazines. I'm like, no, you don't, don't ever start that. But I joined the NRA because, not because of guns, not because of Wayne LaPierre, not because of who they are, not because they're lobbying and they love killing people. I see the world changing. 
and I see the world changing in our rights. If you've been a long-time listener, you'll have heard me say this many, many, many times. America is the last bastion of freedom that this world has. Freedoms are eroding. Freedoms are eroding all over the world. But I think we need to counter the narratives that are going on in America right now, especially regarding the NRA. You have this David Hogg kid running around, and every anyone who will put a microphone in front of his face, he will go talk to them and spread his his insults, and then will tell you how you know it's it's a God bless you, and you know we we need to have a conversation, but we'll say horrific things. He'll now boycott Laura Ingram. We need to have a conversation about guns. Because one of the conversations that the left loves to say in this David Hawkins is, well, guns kill people. Guns kill people. We need to stop guns killing people. Guns are bad. Do guns kill people? Absolutely they do. That's their intent. You know, a gun is not some object that's, you know, it's not like a water pistol. It's not like you can point a gun at someone and go, hey, look, I'm on your best and it's only a water pistol. You know, like if I press the trigger, like a bit of water comes out, or a pea shooter. It's a gun. It's a serious object. It is there for self-defense. It is there to do major damage if the person behind it decides they want to do major damage. You have a responsibility as a gun owner. If you own guns, we have a responsibility to, to protect them, to make sure they're safe. To make sure they don't fall into the wrong hands. It's not like you just leave a, a gun lying on the desk and you go, ah, look, there's the gun. It's, it's there. Anyone can have it. You have a responsibility to be safe. You hear all this argument. You're hearing it time and time again from all sides. The left is going, we got to do something. We have to do something to save lives. I'm just waiting for them to break out Barack Obama's old comment of, well, if it just saves one kid, it's worth it. I see my friends talking about guns and and the right to bear arms and the Constitution. So let's answer some questions about this, shall we? Because I think we actually do need to have an honest conversation about guns. The first question I always see when I see people, I wish more conservatives would answer this honestly. Because I'd actually know, if you think about this, truly, your answer would be similar to mine. Do you want everyone to own a gun? Because I sometimes think when I see people's arguments that the left see as going, you just want everyone to have a gun. You want everyone, just want the wild, wild west. I don't. I don't want everyone to own a gun. I don't want anyone to own something that they don't feel comfortable with. If they're like, I don't want a gun. I don't want you to own one. If you're not competent with a gun, I don't want you owning one. Now, I'm, everything I say, I don't want you to focus in. Well, well, are you telling me the government can stop you? No. I, we'll talk about solutions later on. But I don't want everyone to own a gun. There are lots of people who I know who would hold a gun and go, they'd, they'd shoot it all over the place. They might shoot themselves. But I think we need to have this conversation of who do we want to own guns? We want responsible gun owners. There's a reason why you don't see members of the NRA shooting up people. Because when you're a member of the NRA, you're responsible. You understand the obligations of holding a gun. You understand the privileges of owning that gun. And you act 
accordingly. But the other part of the argument, and this is where I want to focus in on, is I think we need to counter the narrative of guns kill people and guns are bad by doing our best to highlight that guns actually save people. Guns can save people. A gun is an inanimate object. It's not good or bad. It's not left-wing or right-wing. It's not Christian or Jewish or atheist or deist. It's not gay or straight. It's not male or female. A gun is an inanimate object, a piece of metal with loads of paint on it, shined and shaped in such a way to deliver comfort, to deliver feel, to deliver that feeling that you want when you hold your gun. It's different for everyone. Some like people like big guns, some people like small guns. It is an inanimate object. It does not see, it does not have eyes, it does not have ears, it does not respect anything bar the laws of physics and gravity. And even then, that's not the gun, that's the bullet. A gun will do whatever its owner wants it to do. So we can talk about guns all day long and this inanimate object that kills people, or we can have a real conversation. Because when I look around, I see all the guns, even in Ireland where we are a gun-free country. Detectives over here carry guns. Why? Why does a detective carry a gun? If a gun is bad, why? Because they go against and investigate some of the most horrific crimes in Ireland, and they need it. Hmm, interesting how that works, isn't it? You go to a sporting event. You go to MSG. Ironic, I say MSG after what happened near New York this week with Conor McGregor. But you look at police. Why do they carry guns? Why, why do their guns never kill people? Well, actually they do, but, you know, the media narrative. Why do they never kill people? Guns can save people. Guns do an awful lot of good in our society. It's just we tend to focus in when the, when the gun is used for bad, and we focus in on the gun and not the person. I want to share some stories with you today about what's happening in England. But first, I want to talk to you about the Second Amendment. And anytime I say this, I know it's unpopular. People don't like this. I did a show on this uh, about a month or two ago about where I said, the Second Amendment has nothing to do with guns. Nothing to do with guns. A lot of people didn't like that statement. It has absolutely nothing to do with guns. Guns, muskets, rifles, none of that word is in the Second Amendment, the wording of it. The Second Amendment has absolutely nothing to do with guns. What it is to do with is a God-given right that you are born with to protect yourself. You have a right to defend yourself. I've shared this story many times in the past. Liberals even get this. They don't get it from a gun point of view, but I always share this story. I said, if you, can you imagine this story happening in the world today in any part of America? A man walked into the woods today and went, saw a cave and decided, oh, there's a cave, I must go in and have a walk. Just see, explore, see what happens. And the man came across a cute little cubby bear, and he thought, oh, that's such a cute little cubby bear, isn't he so cute and so wonderful, and he looks so soft, I must pick him up and give him a pet. Because he's a little cubby bear, oh, look at the little cubby bear. And the mama bear came and saw the man holding the cubby bear, freaked out and killed him. 
Is there anyone who'd go, that was a bad, bad bear. That was a bad mama bear. Lock her up. Justice for that man. Or would they all go, you're an idiot. You're in a cave. What did you think was going to happen when you picked up the cub? It's a bear cub. And if it's a bear baby cub, there's a chance the mama bear is around. And it doesn't understand, oh, you're just there to pick. Oh, you think the bear little cute or give him a little pet. Mama bear thinks you're either going to kill it or you're going to eat it. Or you're just going to take it away. And it's going to respond. And it will kill you. Bears do these things. I know we have these big cute pictures of bears now because of the you know the wild wild or the WWF, you know, um, you know they have all these polar bears and distinction and they all look so cute and they all look, oh look at the bear it's so the bears will kill you, bears maul you if you do things to annoy it, right? They're they're a lovely animal, they're a gorgeous animal, they're a majestic animal, but if you do things to encroach on their territory, they will kill you, they will maul you to death. They get the self defense. They go well. What do you think the mother was going to do? The mama bear. What do you think he was going to do? He was just going to go, oh, look, come on, we'll all pet the bear together. They believe in self-defense. They just don't understand the guns. We can talk about guns all day long. We can have all these conversations. But if we don't start talking about the right to self-defense, the right to defend yourself, and how bad people are getting away with bad crimes, why is it that right now, if I said to the average person on the street going, hey, can you tell me some of the Parkland survivors? You'd probably name David Hogg. You might get Emma Gonzalez. You know, the cool, that's the cool chick, by the way, who was giving speeches about, you know, gun control and about tyranny all while wearing the Cuban flag on her, on her jacket because, you know, nothing says, you know, we need gun control like a Cuban flag. It's sad how ironic people are, isn't it? But can you tell me the name of the actual shooter? If I said to you, walk down the street, who's the fault of Parkland? You might have Dana Lash. You might have the media. You might have the NRA. You might have Marco Rubio and, what was it, a dollar five cents for every student? No, that's so catchy. Who's the actual killer? Have no idea. Huh, isn't it ironic how that works? All our, all our haste, all our focus is on a gun, on an organization, and on spokespeople. Yet we never focus in, it seems, on the actual people who do these things. There is bad people in this world. There are sick people in this world. Who want to do bad, bad things. And if we keep messing around, they're just going to get worse. I want to share a story with you from the United Kingdom. Because the United Kingdom, especially London right now, is going through a crisis. It's going through a crisis that proves guns don't kill people. People kill people. It's going through a crisis that I don't know how it's going to fix. Sorry, I actually do. It will usually end how most things end in democracies. Innocent people giving up more rights to encroach on more police powers to have more authority over you. I know how this is going to end. It ends the same way all the time. But the story in the United Kingdom is yesterday, this today's, I'm recording this Friday morning, Thursday night had a deadly night in London. Because six teenagers were stabbed within 90 minutes of each other of, in a night of knife carnage around London. Four victims are in a hospital with serious injuries after four separate attacks broke out in four different parts of the city. 
Police have arrested one youth for attempted murder and have taken four more into custody on suspicion of GBH, GBH with intent. Tonight's events, which is Thursday night, came as London is in the midst of a violent crime crisis with gun and knife attacks at their highest levels since 2010. 55 people, 55, 55, aged between 17 and 55, have been murdered in the capital since January, with 13 killed within the last two weeks. Now, when you read the witness accounts of some of these, I'm just going to read out a couple of them. One, I was just coming home from work, but it's just become normal now. I see it all the time. The man who was a victim himself of gang crime when he was pushed into the Grand Union Canal last year by Utes said London had become a war zone. Hmm. Another witness said, Too much shit is happening in this area. Every day there's someone getting hurt or killed. Can't wait to move away from this hopeless, horrific, disastrous place. Let me just repeat that last part. I cannot wait to move away from this hopeless, horrific disastrous place the surge in killings comes as rates of rape robbery and violent offenses in london have already eclipsed those of new york city that is what's going on in london right now it is a crisis it's a major major crisis what is happening in london What is happening in London is bad people are doing bad things. And innocent people are feeling like victims. Innocent people are feeling helpless, hopeless, and horrified. I shared a story a couple of weeks ago, but I'll ask you a question. If you were in London right now, I ask you this question. If you're in London right now and you have been a witness to one of these knife attacks, are you saying anything? If the police knock on your door, Mr. Mrs., there's been an attack outside of your house. Did you see anything? If you can identify the person, the culprit, the bad person, and you can tell them height and age and, you know, they let's say they have a birthmark, a very distinctive one. And you can pull them out of a line and you know it. Do you tell? Do you tell knowing that you will have to face that person in court? Do you tell knowing that these attacks are usually all a bit because of gangs? Knowing that if you rat on one of them, that your family may be at risk. Your family may be targeted. And it's not like in America where you have a right to bear arms. You have nothing in your house. How do you defend yourself? These are stabbing people. They're shooting people. Do you tell? I ask this specific question right now for one reason. Because I want you to answer this. I want you to answer, would you tell? Because I'm going to tell you a story after this break. And I wonder, would your answer change? We have to have honest conversations and we have to seek answers that are not left-wing or not right-wing, that are not Republican or not Democrat, but are eternally truth, that are based in principle, logic, and reason. We can go around defending guns or attacking guns all day long, 
The Second Amendment is about a right to self-defense. Do you have a right to defend yourself? Do you have a right to protect yourself, protect what is yours, protect your wife or your husband, to protect your kids, to protect your grandparents, to protect your your neighbors, to protect your property? Do you have a right to defend yourself? Or are you just helpless? Are you just hopeless? Because what's happening in England right now, if what happens, if people responded in England the way they respond in America to these events, they'd all be blaming knives. You're going, we need to blame, we need to ban knives. Knives kill people. No. People kill people. Because here's the truth some of our friends on the left seem to fail to realize. If you take every gun from America, if you stop every gun purchase going forward and you take every gun off the street, you confiscate the 300 million guns. Let's just say that doesn't end in a civil war, which I believe it would. Let's just say you successfully do that and every gun is off the streets. And the only people who have guns are the police. Eventually, that turns into the only people who have guns are the police and the bad guys, like it is in Ireland. The only people who have guns in Ireland are the detectives and the bad guys. Because the problem where our liberal friends and our friends on the left fall down all the time is logic and reason. This idea that if you just take the gun, that this bad person all of a sudden, well, I wanted to go kill someone with my gun today, but because guns are now illegal, I'm a law-abiding citizen normally, I'm not going to kill them anyone else. I'm not going to go kill anyone else because I can't get a gun. Damn, gosh darn it. And I really wanted to kill someone today. They don't think like this. They'll find a gun. There's bad people who will sell them guns. And even if they can't get a gun, even if you have this magic utopia where no guns ever existed, where you destroy all the patents, all the technology, there is never, ever going to be a gun again. They'll find some other way. They'll have knives like they have in the UK. They'll have bombs. They'll have bow and arrows. They will find a way. If you're a bad person determined to do bad things and inflict pain on other people, you will find a way. You will find a way to do your sick, perverted, sick deed. The idea that, well, if we just take the guns away, oh, well, all of a sudden I'm a guilty person wanting to do bad and a bad person and I'll just become good does not work. London is the proof of this, where people are being murdered by knives. We can mess around all we want about guns, but it's about time we start talking about truth, about logic, about reason, and about bad people. And when bad people do bad things, we call them out. Not organizations, not innocent people, not talking uh, heads in the media, not pundits, but bad people. As we go into this break, think about it. If you're living in London right now and you see a horrific attack, a murder, a, a, a GBH with a knife, and you can clearly identify them, would you tell the police? Would you identify them? Would you put your family through that? Ask yourself that honest question, because when I come back, I'm going to share a story with you, and I wonder will your answer change. Don't go anywhere, America. Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on demand. The Blaze Radio Network.
Pat Gray. Like you have a hundred dollars to pay for my dinner plus yours? No, everybody knows that's not true. No, I didn't say I paid for mine. <laughs> Somebody else who saw you across the way uh, paid for yours, right? So you decided. No, I paid for yours, and I just bolted. Uh, okay. Paid for All right. It. What restaurant was it? You know, the place that I take my girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, which is where? I can't say that out loud. I don't want people to know where I go. And we're finding out. Yeah, the wife was busy. Pat Gray, weekdays from noon to three Eastern, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Disciple on demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Thank you so much for sticking with me, America. I want to paint a picture for you. I want to paint a scene for you to imagine that you live in. I want you to imagine you're a 78 year old man. You're retired. You've done everything in your life, tried to do it the right way, or and you've raised your kids. And you live in a somewhat nice house. It's just you and your wife. And you rarely go out. You go out maybe once or twice a week to get your shopping. But you're retired here. You're taking it easy. And you have your routine. You go about your business during the day. You don't really bother anyone. And it's one night. It's about 1am and you're in bed with your wife. And you're asleep. And you're awoken. And you're awoken because two men have broken into your house. You're forced into your kitchen by one of the men. And one of the men has a screwdriver. I want you to think about everything that's going through your head right now. Now, we'll never know exactly what's going through the actual gentleman that I'm asking you to think about. But some of the things that might go through your head are, is my wife going to be okay? It's my property. Are they going to rob a certain jewelry item that means is worth a lot or has sentimental value? Are they going to rob something that, you know, or destroy something that, you know, is a lifelong treasure, you know, pictures? Are they going to destroy our home? What are they going to do? Are they going to kill us? Are they going to rape us? Are they going to assault us? I don't know. I've never been in this situation, thank God. But I know if I was, I could imagine I'd be worried about, in this scenario, my wife and our future. I'd worry about certain things being stolen. I don't have a lot, so there's not a lot of things that I would jump to straight in mind. Um, I don't have anything that's that's worth a lot. Probably the most expensive item I own is an iPad, and they're a dime a dozen today. But you have sent a sentimental keepsake, you know, pictures, or because you hear stories over here. I don't know what they're like over there, but you know, you hear stories of of people like you know going to the toilet in your underwear and you know, destroying and tearing up pictures, you know, just if they can't find anything, they get frustrated. So you might think that something that isn't worth a whole lot, but is worth a lot of memories, might be at risk. Well, this gentleman, after being forced into the kitchen, it's the middle of the night, it's 1am, well, a struggle in shoes. 
And the old, retired, 78-year-old man overpowers the 38-year-old intruder. Even though the intruder was armed with a, a screwdriver, was younger, probably fitter, probably stronger, more experienced. So a pensioner overcame him. And as the struggle ensues, the 38-year-old man has a wound in his chest. To this day, we don't know if it was by the screwdriver or if it was by another object. But he later collapsed, and by about 4 a.m., he's dead. The homeowner, imagine going through this. All that fear. I've been woken up at 1 a.m. in the morning. Again, it's 1 a.m. You're not Jack Bauer. It's not the middle of the day. You're groggy, you're tired, you're weak. You might be in your PJs, in your delicates. You're going through all that worry and then you have the horror of that struggle with a younger man and you've overcome it. His experience must be horrific. Sadly, that was only the start of this story. Because after this gentleman goes through this struggle and goes through this horrific, unbelievable ordeal, he then finds out he's being detained on suspicion of murder. He's handcuffed. He's put in his poli- a police car and he's been brought to the station. Now, that in itself might seem like a like a isolated incident. But take into context of what this man was living in. I told you in the first segment of the show that London is going through major crime. Rape is up, assault is up, murder is up, GBH is up. 55 people have been killed this year between stabbing or, mur- or gun violence. That's more than New York. When you take into context the person where this, the place where this old age pensioner lived, one of the neighbors gave a quote to the media. He said, I've lived on this road for 20 years. When I heard it was a burglary, I wasn't surprised. There's been a noticeable increase in crime in the area. We even had to put up CCTV at our home because we didn't feel safe. Such an awful event, I feel terrible for the man that was burgled. That's a quote from one of his neighbours. He wasn't surprised it was another burglary. People in over here where you do not have a Second Amendment, where you do not have the right to bear arms, are sitting ducks. We do not have a right to defend ourselves. What I find so sad about the situation so many people find themselves living in is you work hard, you play by the rules, you do nothing wrong, and you want to retire and enjoy the rest of your days. Well, that's what this gentleman did. And he got burgled for it. And because he dare have the audacity to defend his home, he's now been charged with murder. 
when it's added in to context, because it's this has been a couple of days since this attack has actually happened and this situation has happened, they now have released information on the, the burglar who died. I read from a article from the Daily Mail. A burglar who died after struggling with a pensioner during a week break-in was a career criminal who helped con frail pensioners out of more than £500,000 with his family. That's give or take a million dollars. Not talking about chump change here. Henry Vincent died from a stab wound following a burglary at the South London home of 78-year-old Richard Osborne Brooks and his wife Maureen on Tuesday night. A second man remains on the run. The father of four Vincent was once on a most wanted list and was named by police as details of his criminal past had emerged. In 2003, members of his family were jailed for a total of 29 years at Croydon Court after they conned pensioners out of £448,000, What a great crime. 29 years for conning nearly half a million pounds out of pensioners. He was in a gang with his father and five of his uncles. And they operate in Kent and South London. Yet this man is still arrested and still in a jail cell for having the audacity to protect his home. People ask me, why do you defend America so much, John? Just focus in on Ireland. Do you know you're in Ireland, you're Irish, focus in on Ireland. The truth is, I don't see how we can make these arguments in Ireland unless there's an example to point to. All my life and past my life reading history, America's always been that example. If I don't have America as an example, as that bastion of freedom, of as that example of not man's law, but eternal nature's law and nature's God, how can I point to it? Because the first thing that they know, people who argue, who oppose me and my views will go, well, where's the proof? Where has this worked? Historically, I was able to point to America, flaws and all. I was able to say, this is what you can become. This is why America must be free, not because of Republicans, not because of Democrats, not because of Donald Trump, not because of Barack Obama, but because of your constitution, because of your ideals, because of your principles, because you're the only country on God's green earth that has ever spoken or ever identified nature's law and nature's God. I asked you a question before we went into the break. If you saw a horrific attack in London, a stabbing, would you tell the police? Would you identify them? If you knew the person by name, would you tell them it was them? When you see this, knowing that you may become a target. Now everything I've told you about the stabbings in London is true. You can Google it yourself. The story I've told you, you can true. It's Google it yourself. They're easy to find. But I want to share a transcript with you. And I want to share a transcript of you by someone saying who was a neighbor who saw it. And the transcript is where he says he saw the person. He saw, heard a noise. He was asleep. It was 1 a.m., 2 a.m. He said he heard a few noises and he figured it, you know, 
you hear a few noises outside your house, you don't automatically go, oh, there's a burglar on the loose, what, the height in your senses. Apparently this guy said, you know, I heard a few noises and I thought, you know, it's just someone drunk and, you know, falling around. And he says he went to his window. And because there was a skirmish, the, the guy who was stabbed, the pensioner who stabbed the 38-year-old man, he just didn't stab him and then was, you know, died on in the kitchen or wherever he stabbed him wherever the scuffle finished. He, apparently he tried to escape and he walked into the street and his friends were there in a white van waiting on him. But imagine you're this person and you live next to this event and you hear this scuffle outside and you think, oh, someone's drunk, I'll just go out and, you know, you'll raise the blinds and you'll look out and you see people been pulled into a white van and you can clearly identify him. He looks like you, he's about your age and he looks up at you and sees you. And then you later realize, well, what happened next door down the road was actually a burglary. How safe are you feeling right now, knowing that that person saw you and you and you can identify him, and he knows you can identify him, and you're now on the run as that criminal? How safe are you with feeling in that house right now, knowing that this is a gang that has targeted older people before, that it's a gang of a father and five uncles who have a history? who have criminal records, who are experienced. How safe are you feeling in your home? If the police come knocking, are you going to tell them your testimony? Are you going to tell them what you saw? Are you going to risk it? Now, very few details have come out about this man, but maybe he has kids. Would you risk it if you had kids? I know this, and I try and live my life as honorable and as principled as I can. I gotta be honest, if I witnessed a horrific crime and then I knew there was gangs involved, I would think twice about giving as evidence. And I'll be truthful. I'm always truthful with you. I can't say whether I would or not. Please God, I'm never in that situation, but in Ireland, there is no right to self-defense. Now, in case you're wondering, well, John, what are the chances that this guy goes to jail? You know, yeah, he's been arrested, and it's not nice, and it's a, it's not the way you deal with events. And what is the law on the books? Well, sadly, the law on the books in Britain is very vague. It's open to interpretation. Let me read something from for you, just so you get the context of why I say it's vague, and why it's open to interpretation. British law allows homeowners to use, quote, reasonable force, end quote, against intruders to protect themselves or others in their home. There were guidelines introduced in around 2005, and they allowed people to protect themselves in the heat of the moment, using, including using an object as a weapon. They can also stop an intruder running off, example, by tackling them to the ground. There is no specific definition of reasonable force and what it, and it is said to depend on the circumstances. The guideline states that if a person only did what was honestly thought was necessary at the time, this would provide strong evidence that you acted within the law. End quote. People do risk prosecution, however, if they carry on attacking the intruder when they are no longer in danger or pre-plan a trap for someone rather than involving the police. This is why man's law is so crap. Excuse my French. It's open to interpretation. Let's start with the start. Reasonable force. What is reasonable force? 
What is reasonable force? To me, I can make an argument reasonable force is, you know, a couple of kicks and a couple of punches. I have other friends who go, you know, reasonable force is me getting a baseball bat, and I'm saying this from a non-American point of view, and swinging for the fences. I have other people who, you know, might, you know, go grab a knife and try and defend themselves. What is reasonable force? But what makes it even more ludicrous is, I'd ask you to paint that picture back. You're that 78-year-old pensioner. It's 1am, you're in bed with your wife. You're awoken. Two men. And then ask yourself, firstly, what is reasonable force? And then, what is the heat of the moment? You're allowed to protect yourself in the heat of the moment. When does that stop? Just think of yourself. Just think of it, even just not a life-threatening situation, not a, a burglary if you've never experienced it. Just think of something, you know, when you... I'm trying to think of just an, an innocent thing. You know when you're driving? And you almost hit someone? You know, someone swerves in front of you, or, you know, you see, you see something and then you have to jam on, and or someone has to jam on in front of you. You know that moment where you're like, Oh my God! But nothing happens. You don't crash. You don't hit someone. Your heart rate is elevated. And you're you're kind of in shock for it. It doesn't just pass. It's not like, well, I didn't hit someone and, you know, the shock just goes. It, you know, it's not like, hey, well, I didn't, nothing happened. Nothing went wrong. I'm, thank God I'm okay. And everything just passes. You know, your heart rate is elevated for a few minutes or for a few seconds. You know, you might be still thinking about it. You might be, your your your, your senses are more heightened. You know, if someone swerves in in front of you, for example, let's just use that as an example. You know, for the rest of your drive, you're more heightened. You're more aware of someone else swerving in front of you because you got lucky once by not hitting someone, but someone else could do it. You know, we're creatures of emotion. What is the heat of the moment? And when can you decide when reasonable force starts and reasonable force stops? How can you tell when the heat of the moment starts and when the heat of the moment stops? I don't know what's going to happen with this situation of this poor pensioner in the UK. But these are two stories that need to be shared in America. Because this, the Second Amendment, is not about guns. It is about a right to defend yourself. And if America is not careful, you will follow the path of Great Britain, Ireland, and the rest of the world where you will either have guns confiscated or you will hand them in. And then all of a sudden, your civil liberties will erode, where yeah, you can, yeah, sure, if someone breaks in, you can use reasonable force. But we won't tell you what reasonable force is. And even if you'd said, you know what, let's actually, let's, okay, John, you have a problem with reasonable force. Let's fill in the blank. How can you tell how you're feeling? Imagine, let's forget the, the old pension. Let's go to another scenario. Where there's a lot of rapes and a lot of, you know, criminal activity in your area and burglars break in. And you've got young kids. And let's say you happen to have a really pretty daughter. You know, 12 or 13, long, long hair. Just beautiful perfection. And in this sick world, when you know about what happens with organizations like Operation Underground Railroad, there are people out there who want to have sex with a four-year-old, sick people. You know this. And you have a beautiful young daughter and a beautiful young son. And someone breaks in. At what point does reasonable force stop? 
Would you do everything? I don't need to ask this question to a lot of people who listen, because I know the answer. Would you do everything you can to protect your kids? If you thought there was one chance, one hair in their head was going to be hurt, would you do everything in your power to stop it? If you thought for one second there was a chance they were going to be raped or beaten up, would you do everything? What is reasonable force then? Because what's reasonable to you might not be reasonable to the police, might not be reasonable to the grand jury, might not be reasonable to the trial that you may face. Now, I have a very simplistic view on this. I have no sympathy for this criminal. Not because he robbed other people, but because none of these crimes are an issue if he is not there in the first place. He had no right to be on that man's property. He had no right to be there. He was, he has to accept the consequences. We have to stand for the right to self-defense. We have to stand for a right to protect your property. We have to stand to protect your family, to protect your property, to your intellectual property. These are nature's law. Again, I go back to the example of the man walking into a bear cub. If we don't get outraged by a bear cub mauling a man just because he was petting a bear cub, and yet we will arrest a pensioner because he dared protect his home and his wife and his property. We have something seriously, seriously wrong. In America, if you don't wake up and understand and start arguing about the right to self-defense, guns are included in that, by the way. If we don't start waking up and start talking about eternal principles and stop looking for the Republican answer and the, the Democratic answer and the Donald Trump answer and the Paul Ryan answer and the Chuck Schumer answer, and we don't start focusing once again on eternal principles, you will become the United Kingdom. And then you lose, and then everyone else loses. Because people like me who talk about freedom have nowhere to point to, because I'll say about America, and kind of go, well, America is just like Britain. They have gun control laws too. America doesn't have the right to self-defense. America doesn't have the right to protect your property. Even though I know their founder said it, they don't practice it anymore. This is what's at stake. Who do you want to stand for? What principles do you want to stand for? Is it the principles of a political party or the principles that are eternal and never, ever change? As bad as all these stories are, I'm probably going to tell you a story after this break that will make your head explode. Because, sadly, the world in Britain didn't learn from the case of Charlie Gart. Which don't go anywhere, America. We'll be right back. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Disciple on demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Thank you so much for sticking with me, America. The team of today's show is do we want to defend the most innocent and vulnerable members of our society? We started by talking about the, the stabbings and the murders in London. Innocent people, as young as 17, as old as 55. We then move on to that tragic story of the pensioner who was burgled and struggled with his burglar and 
Bergener passed away because he was stabbed in the conflict. And the pensioner is now put in jail because he dared defend his home. We move on to the other end of the spectrum. If you followed um, American politics, credit to people like Matt Walsh and Glenn Beck, who brought this story to American publication. But there was a story a couple of months ago of young Charlie Gard, who when his parents went through every battle of legally to keep him alive and ultimately lost in every every court of Britain and then onto the European courts that you don't have a right to. That, you know, it was he had a right to die with dignity was one of the phrases that came from the court case. And sadly, eventually they lost every case and had to turn the machines off for young Charlie and Charlie sadly died very quickly. Well, the world was horrified at this. The world said it was wrong. But yet here we are just a few months later dealing with the exact same story in the exact same country on the exact same path. And you have to wonder if there's going to be a difference. You know, I look at the world today and I honestly wonder where our humanity has gone. We as people have such a ability to love people, to be compassionate, to console each other. You know, we've advanced so much in so many ways as a society. You know, you look around the world, just look in your own house of, and you see the advancement of how much we have it better than the last generation had it and definitely over people who had it 100 years ago. You know, if you think something simple like, do you like going to the toilet indoors? This is not something that has been around forever. This is something that's relatively new. Indoor plumbing is relatively new in the history of the world. You know, you flick a switch now and you get electricity. This is how much we've advanced. Heck, you look at the technology that goes on behind the scenes about this show. You have a guy that's 6,000 miles off your east coast, who's five hours ahead of the east coast, who speaks into a microphone, saves a file, goes to a website called Dropbox, uploads it, and then the Blaze get it and put it together and do whatever they do to make try and make me sound somewhat decent. And then you all listen to it on a platform. That's amazing. Technology and how we've advanced in some ways is unbelievable. Yet in some of the most basic ways, we have not advanced. In some ways, we're actually going backwards. I want to tell you the story of a little boy called Alfie Evans. Alfie Evans was born in May 2016. He's just like every other boy at the time. He's born, apparently, looks pretty healthy. But apparently, and again, excuse my ignorance, I'm a man and I don't have kids, so but there's certain milestones that you a baby reaches, you know, especially in the first six, seven, eight months, certain things that you have to do. But young Alfie doesn't hit those milestones. It's December 2016, and he gets a chest infection. It causes seizures, and he's taken to the local hospital. And he's put on life support. And sadly, he's been there ever since. The father of young Alfie Evans is a man called Tom Evans. And he says he's seeking U.S. treatment. 
It's amazing all these people in the UK and socialized medicine and socialized medicine is so great, yet they always seem to need to get to America. Isn't it always, just on a side point, isn't it always funny and tragic and sad? He's hoping that Charlie Guard supporters will help him because the doctors want to turn off Alfie's life support machine. In December 2017, they are beginning mediation with the hospital and they're hoping to find a way forward because they still want to turn off his life support machine and he's like, no, we need to get him to the US to get potential treatments. December 19th, Mr. Evans claims that his toddler is letting him know that he wants to live. He's interacting with him. So they go to court and February 1st, the case goes to the High Court in Liverpool where the hospital revealed the parents smuggled in a German doctor into the hospital in a bid to stop the life support machine been from switched off. Now again, you can say whether that's right or wrong, but to those who have parents out there, if your kid is on life support and your doctors are saying we need to turn it off, would you do everything in your power, whether it was legal or not, to protect your kid? February 2nd, uh, a consultant tells the High Court that the child is unresponsive and is not conscious of his surroundings and cannot be cured. Because doctors are now gods. February 5th, parents are told by the doctors there's no hope for recovery for their boy who has suffered catastrophic degradation to his brain from a rendless condition. Fast forwards to February 20th and the High Court judge makes his ruling and says doctors can stop providing care and treatment to young Alfie Evans. February 22nd, his father says, you know what, this isn't good enough, we're going to appeal the decision and that doctors should take a step back. It goes forward to March 1st and three appeal judges begin analysing issues at a hearing. It takes 10 days and on March 11th, the Court of the Appeals have a hearing and decide doctors can put an end to Alfie's treatment. That is the timeline to date well last Friday just gone last week they went again to court and again trying to overturn a doctor's ruling saying that they could switch off the life support machine they brought it to the Supreme Court and sadly they lost their bid father of the baby Tom he seems to be the one who's making all the public comments went to Facebook and he made an appeal for help they're going to appeal directly um, sorry they're going to the Supreme Court and if they don't get the Supreme Court the last step is the European Court of Human Rights he read, wrote a post on Facebook and he said, on the legal side of things, their appeal to the Supreme Court will be going to, in tomorrow. Um, Alder Hay, which is the, the hospital in Liverpool, have requested to meet me tomorrow so they can discuss removing Alfie's machine on Friday. Imagine being that cold. Imagine being that heartless. Imagine living in a society. Look, I don't care whether you believe in God or not. 
I'm not ex- I'm not expecting everyone to be a Christian or to believe in God. That is why America was so special that you didn't focus in on a God, you focused in on nature's God and you said that you have certain rights. Imagine being in a situation where you have a baby boy and all you want to do is like every parent is to try and make him live to give him every opportunity you may know there's only a 1% chance of survival but there is that hope you have that hope that maybe just somehow maybe a miracle happens or maybe that a doctor in the US will just look at things different and you know will have a different set of experience and maybe just maybe there's a the chance that you get some good news or maybe that just by keeping him on life support just long enough that maybe because we're advancing so much in science and in healthcare and in, in cures that maybe if you keep him on life support then maybe there is no cure today but maybe tomorrow or next week we have a medical breakthrough you have that hope it might be only a 1% hope You might know in your heart of hearts it's the most hopeless situation, but you're clinging on for dear life for that hope. And you're going through the legal process. And everyone knows that you're going to go through every legal process that you can go, that really what the high court rule is, is kind of irrelevant. It's relevant in in the legal sense that it takes more to overturn a ruling. You obviously want the ruling to go in your favor because it, it, you know, to overturn a ruling, you kind of need more burden of proof. And the more times doctors are, are court side with the doctors, the harder it is for the next court to overturn it. So it's not irrelevant. But you know, most of these cases will try and go through the procedure where you go to the, the high court, you go to the court of appeals, you go to the Supreme Court, and then you go to the European Court. But imagine having this where you know you're going to the Supreme Court because you're not happy with the the Court of Appeals decision and you still request a meeting to to turn off the health care, to turn off the life support. He went on in his post saying, how sick, knowing we are going through enough and know that we are fighting with Alfie and we are going all the way to human rights. They also know I sat in on a meeting on Thursday with the medical director and a Clare Clare House, which is a children's hospice nurse, speaking about the most hardest, unimaginable conversation anyone would think about. Discussing how they would take him to Clare House in Birkendale, 40-50 minutes away, to give me and Kate a day with him, then set a time to remove his machine. Absolutely vile, disgusting actions. He continued by saying, Alfie is far... From that's nowhere near that stage yet, and neither are we. This situation happens far too often. And far too often in life we are silent. We do not stand for the most vulnerable in society. We do not stand or speak out for those who need us to speak out. We are living in a culture of death. Where courts, where politicians will either stand with the doctor's decision who think they are gods. 
who think every scenario in life has a mathematical equation, whether you believe in God or not. Life is unpredictable. You know, there's a reason why, on the opposite side, where you get people who get severe cancer. They can never tell you how long they have left. They can't say, well, look, I'm really sorry, you have cancer. You will die in five months, two weeks, three days, and 12 hours. They can't tell you that because it's not a mathematical equation. They can't say, well, this is your build, this is your height, this is your body structure, this is the stage of the cancer, this is where it's at, this is exactly how much time. You talk to any doctor who's or any patient who's been through this, even if it's the most terminal diagnosis, they'll say, how long you have left, we can give you rough guidelines, but how long you have left is how much you fight, how much you cling to that life, how much you really want to live. Doctors are not gods. Doctors are doctors. And sure, they might be right 99.9999999% of the time. But what about that 0.00001% of the time? They might just misdiagnose us. What happens if they get the timeline wrong? What happens if you could just keep him alive for another week or another month? What happens if another doctor has a breakthrough? Is life worth fighting for? Is life precious? Is it the right of the family to say when is enough for their kid? Or is it the state's job? Is it some doctor's job? These are the questions we are finding ourselves answering in society right now. And it's my opinion we're answering them all wrong. We have made doctors gods, we have made governments kings and queens, and we have dehumanized the individual at every opportunity. And we do it on such a regular basis. You know, we're living in a world where, I don't know if you've been following international news, but Ireland's going to be voting on abortion in May. And I know how that result is going to go. It's going to go the way of every other progressive utopia that Ireland is and that Ireland follows. We do not protect the most innocent in society. We wrap innocence in the cloud of choice. And what's so sad is there are people who are conservatives who are claimed to be pro-life who every time people like me talk about pro-life go, shh, just won't be successful. People are not interested in it. Well, maybe that's our problem. Maybe our problem is that we are dead, so, in, so dead inside ourselves that we've bought the myth that murder is no choice and we just go on with our daily lives. You know, there was a meeting, bringing this back to America. There was a meeting, there's reports that have come out a lot this week. And apparently there was a meeting between first daughter Ivanka Trump, her husband Jared Kushner, and Planned Parenthood CEO Cecile Richards. And apparently conservatives heard about this meeting and weren't happy about it because, you know, you can, you can paint the picture. 
but you hear about you know Planned Parenthood. You hear all these advertising. You know where we're here, women's health, and we're here to help women, and we're here to empower women. Well, there's a report that came out that basically said, apparently, now take this for what it's worth, it's media, but according to this report, Ivanka Trump and Jared Kushner offered full funding for Planned Parenthood. In fact, they even offered to increase Planned Parenthood's funding at one point. It only came with one request. If you want to be fully funded, and heck, if you want to see your funding go up, you just have to do one simple thing. Stop abortions. Now, spoiler alert, they said no. But then you add what she said afterwards. Because apparently, Cecile Richards said it felt like a bribe. And she didn't want to hand the couple and President Trump a political win. We have made everything political today. Left, right, top, bottom. Abortion is now viewed as a political win. The truth about Planned Parenthood, historically... Is, is linked to Margaret Sanger, who was for eugenics, who was one of the most vilest, sickest, racist people you will ever meet. The history of Planned Parenthood is if people like me, you know, those evil conservatives, those evil libertarians, those evil people who believe in freedom and people who have a right to life, that you would have 60 million more babies alive today. Who wouldn't be babies, who would be kids, who would be adults. And a large chunk of those adults would not be white. Yet I'm the racist and I'm the biggest. 60 million of those babies on a large chunk would not be white. The truth about the abortion industry is it's become very profitable. When you understand that in 2011, the abortion mill represented 32% of the abortion market, why would you give it up for a bit more of government funding? The abortion mill that is Planned Parenthood is nothing more than a greedy money-grubbing, soulless organization. It represents 32% of all abortions in America. Now, it may be more because 2011 was seven years ago, but that's the last year we can get the figures. When you add on top of that, the harvesting and the selling of baby parts, how much money that makes them. Cecile Richards didn't say no because it was a bribe. Cecile Richard didn't say no because it would have been a political win for Donald Trump. It would have been all of those. Cecile Richards said no because of pure greed. Because what she sees, or what we see as abortion and horrific, she sees as dollar signs. Yet I'm the greedy capitalist. 
I'm the I'm the million, I'm for the millionaires and billionaires. I honestly don't know how we're going to survive as a, as a world. I'm not talking about America here. I'm talking about the world, about humanity. How can we have conversations when there are people who say, don't talk about this. Don't talk about abortion, John. It doesn't go over well. People don't like it. How can we be so dead inside that talking about an innocent baby been pulled limb for limb because that's what they do. You read some of these transcripts of doctors who performed abortions, who have realized there are ways, and you hear it. It's not like some injection and the baby just falls asleep and never wakes up. They are literally pulled limb from limb in the wound. They put a, effectively a, a, like a tweezer or a clamp inside the woman and then they just start pulling it might be a leg, it might be an arm, it might be a neck. They just pull. That must be one of the most horrific, gruesome deaths. And we all wrap it up today in choice. Because we're too afraid to have honest conversations. I start this show by asking you a question right at the start. Do we have a duty and a responsibility to be a voice for the voiceless? Do we have a duty and a responsibility to stand up for those who cannot stand for themselves? Do we have a duty and a responsibility to stand for justice, to stand for freedom? And lastly, do we have a duty and a responsibility to stand for life? In some ways, I'm afraid to ask those questions. Because what I hear a lot is, yes, yes, yes. Yes, we do. And then when it comes to actually doing it, how little has changed. I've heard for years, I've been around your conservative movement for years. For a long time now. In fact, it's 18 years. And I've heard some of the most impassionate Amazing speeches from people who are pro-life. I've heard testimony from people who have survived abortions. Even as now as people in the New York Times and columnists think it's cool to talk about, you know, well, we just, you know, we need to remove Down syndrome and, you know, Down syndrome, through removing a true abortion is a positive step for society. It's a positive step for all of us. That's eugenics. I've heard people like, that the the Down syndrome leader called Frank, I can't remember his surname, giving testimony in Capitol Hill and having him say, I count my life matters. Imagine how that must feel, having to go in front of politicians and say, my life matters, my life has value. And yet we're dead to it inside. I've seen all these testimonies, but yet what has changed? What has changed? Planned Parenthood is still funded. Abortion is still going. There's no sign of Roe being being overturned. And even if it was overturned, it doesn't mean the end of abortion. And all the time I see all these conversations, which I've talked about today with you, 
And yet all I see on some of your media is stormy frickin' Daniels. That's all I see. Everyone wants to know, well, did you pay it? Did, did the lawyer pay it? Did you pay it? Did you know about it? Did you know about it? Did you agree to it? Did you consent to it? Stormy Daniels. That's all I hear in large parts of your media. I hear David Hogg running around talking about March for Our Lives and we need to save all the kids and we need to stand up for the youth. But yet silent on on things like abortion. I guarantee you he won't talk about what's happening to young Alfie Evans in, in England. We can focus on the left and the right and the Republicans and the Democrats and the Liberals and the Conservatives. If we don't have... Start having conversations about principles. Our humanity is going to keep slipping from us. And if our humanity slips from us, I say this as a Christian. God have mercy on all of us. Because I don't think even God's mercy is enough. Has enough mercy to show on us. Because we won't deserve it. When we come back, I want to take the show in a slightly different direction, a bit more of a happy direction, if you could say that. I want to talk to you about a man, a great man, who changed our world. Don't go anywhere, America. You're listening to Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Lindbeck program. The Commerce Department revealed that the citizenship question would be added to the 2020 census, and California lawmakers lit up. This is an attempt to nullify the advantage that progressive lawmakers by allowing and encouraging people to break the law. And the battle between California and the Trump administration is just beginning to heat up. We might end up being better off in the long run if Trump does extend his wall to include California. The Glenn Beck program. Freedom's Disciple On Demand On the Blaze Radio Network Thank you so much for sticking with me, America If you have sticked with me Today's been a bit of an emotional show And I wanted to just remember A great man this week You know, April 4th 1968, 50 years ago, was a tragic day in American history. For those of you that don't know, that was the day Martin Luther King was assassinated. The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. There is so much we can learn from history. I say that as someone like me who can learn from who I learn from your history every day. But I think everyone can learn from American history. Because American history is filled with principles, but it's also filled with examples. Case studies, if you will, of when people act a certain way, who wins and who do you remember? Last week I spoke to you about men of honor and how it's honor is so critical to your society. How you remember people of honor. But yet you use the term Benedict Arnold as people who act with, without honor. 
fast forward a couple of hundred years, and there's a reason y'all celebrate Martin Luther King Day, and this week remembered his the 50th anniversary of his assassination, and yet you don't remember Malcolm X. You don't celebrate Malcolm X. I want to talk to you about the man. Of all the people in American history who could have been angry, who could have said, get whitey, who could have said, you know what, violence is the answer, who could have just looked at every white person and said, you're all racists. Either you were a racist or you were silent on racism. Of all the people who could have promoted hate, who could have stood up in public places saying, get them, beat them up, take their land. It was Martin Luther King. But he didn't. He didn't act in a violent way. Even when he was confronted with violence, he didn't act in a violent way. He acted in a non-violent and a civil disobedience. He believed in his Christian beliefs. And he also believed in the activism of people like Gandhi. You read his history of what he faced. All the haste. All the insults. Been spit at. Having stuff thrown at you. Having people say, you are not human, you are black. How many people judged him on the color of his skin? Because apparently being white is somehow noble or better. Having someone look at you as if you're just nothing more than a piece of property. When you think of everything, just think of your life. Think of your life and everything you have to overcome. And think of how you respond to it. You know, we have social media today. Everyone gets outraged and gets on social media and, you know, draws, drops a few F-bombs and, you know, comes up with loads of insults. Hate is very easy to spread on social media today. Everyone does it. Or not everyone, but a large chunk of people on all sides do it. Martin Luther King. Man, you imagine if he had Twitter. If he had Facebook. We need more Martin Luther King and less Malcolm X in our society today. One of the criticisms I see sometimes people, you know, who are conservatives who like Martin Luther King but don't consider him a hero. They have problems with some of his beliefs. They go, well, you know, he was a, you know, he was a communist. You know, he, he was arguing for unions. He, he cheated on his wife. We're not looking for perfect people. I can sit down with a Martin Luther King because he's humble, because he's kind. You don't just sit down with people who disagree with you. I would have many disagreements. If Martin Luther King was alive today and he continued on his path, I would say we would have difference of opinion on quite a few subjects. I'm filling in the lines. Obviously, it's impossible to know. People change. But I would sit down with him and have a wonderful... Not that I'm anyone, because he'd be famous, but, you know, that type of person. I know many socialists, quote-unquote, who are good people. We agree on absolutely nothing, 
but we can have a conversation. We just see the world extremely different. We see the role of government extremely different. There's no hatred there. There's no bias there. We just see the world different. And we're both consenting adults where we go, it's okay to agree to disagree. But why do you celebrate Martin Luther King Day? Why do you remember him? Because he's an American hero. He's an American hero, not a black hero, and an American hero. Because of what he did. Because of what he started. Because of what he achieved. But also because of his words. I'd ask you to paint a picture of what you think Martin Luther King's life was like. Paint it in your head. Think of all his daily struggles. Imagine even just a simple thing where he wanted to have a gun. And he was told for his own safety he couldn't have one. Just think about that. He wants a gun to protect himself. And he's told for his safety he can't have one. Of all the things he endured. Think of all the life he had. Just paint that little picture in your head for a minute. Now multiply it by about a hundred and you may be close to what he actually experienced. What I admire most about Martin Luther King was he experienced all this haste and yet his words were so powerful, so crystal clear, the opposite of what he faced. He didn't seek to tear people down, he seeked to build people up. As we remember the 50th anniversary of his passing, I want to read out a few of his words from a speech that you probably know one line and everyone knows one line from this speech. I have a dream. I don't know how many other lines people know from this speech, but I want to read out some words for you. And I want to remind something to each and every one of you. A fact. A fact that so few people share today. When you think of the I have a dream speech, when you think of marching on the on DC, this big civil rights march, imagine just think of all the work that would require. You saw the, the march for, was it the March for Our Lives last week? Got an impressive number of people, I think it was like several hundred thousand. Impressive number of people, to turn up, no doubt. But you look at all the platforms they had. It was on social media, it was on Facebook, it was on Twitter, it was in the media, it was on every political group that you had, you know, march for our lives, come to DC, this day, this time, you gotta hear these people speak. It was everywhere, media reporting it, advertisements, had all these groups behind it, the the march for action, moms demand action, all these different groups, all coming together to say march for our lives, you had all this great promotion. And I got a several hundred thousand people. Impressive turnout. I'm not diminishing it in any way. Now you fast rewind back to the 60s. There is no Facebook. There is no Twitter. There are no political groups, quote unquote, that can promote stuff. Yet a large chunk of people turned up to Washington to hear a black order speak about civil rights. And the stat so few share today is roughly 25% of the people who turned up to listen to the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King were white. Because he didn't make it about black versus white. He didn't make it about, you know, us versus them. He made it about everyone. 
He didn't tear, he didn't seek to empower black people by tearing white people down. He spoke about eternal principles. I want to read out some of his speech. Just so, just bear with me. Five score, five score years ago, a great American in whose symbolic shadow we stand today signed the Emancipation Proclamation. This momentous decree came as a great beacon of light, of hope to millions of Negro slaves who had been seared in the flames of withering injustice. It came as a joyous daybreak to end the long night of their captivity. But a hundred years later, the Negro still is not free. One hundred years later, the life of the Negro is still sadly crippled by the manacles of segregation and the chains of discrimination. One hundred years later, the Negro lives on a lonely island of poverty in the midst of a vast ocean of material prosperity. One hundred years later, the Negro is still languished in the corners of American society and finds himself in an exile in his own lands. And so we've come here today to dramatize a shameful condition. In a sense, we have come to our nation's capital to cash a check. When the architects of our republic wrote the magnificent words of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, they were signing a promissory note to which an every American was to fall heir. Every American, not just black Americans, not just white Americans, but every Americans. This note was a promise that all men, yes, black men as well as white men, would be guaranteed the unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It is obvious today that America has defaulted on this promissory note insofar as our citizens of color are concerned. Instead of honoring this sacred obligation, America has given the Negro people a bad check, a check which has come back marked insufficient funds. But we refuse to believe that the Bank of Justice is bankrupt. We refuse to believe that there are insufficient funds in the great vaults of opportunity of this nation. And so we've come to cash this check. A check that will give us upon demand the riches of freedom and the security of justice. When you think of everything he went through. When you think of all the hate and the injustice and the anger he came face to face with. And yet in those amazing words there's not one word of anger. He doesn't seek to tear anyone down. He doesn't seek to destroy anyone. He purely simply means I just want what is due to me. Because our republic, not our democracy, our republic says we are created and born with inalienable rights. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And that for the longest time, people who look like me haven't had access to these rights that come from our creator. We just want access. That is why Martin Luther King is special. But also when you consider the way he finished his speech. When you read some of his words, they're amazing, they're uplifting. I don't know how such uplifting, amazing words could come from someone who pretty much most of his life saw hate. You know, you think the hate you face today on social media, it's nothing compared to what he faced. And yet, so many people that we see on all sides of the aisle see hate and then they respond with hate. 
Oh, you want to get me, I'm going to get you. You think the Republicans suck, I'm going to tell you how the Democrats suck. He finished off his wonderful I Have a Dream speech in an uplifting way that I want to share with you right now. And this will be the day, this will be the day when all of God's children will be able to sing with new meaning. My country, tis of thee, sweet land of liberty, of thee I sing. Land where my fathers died, land of the pilgrim's pride. From every mountainside, let freedom ring. And if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. And so let freedom ring from the prodigious hilltops of New Hampshire. Let freedom ring from the mighty mountains of New York. Let freedom ring from the heightening Algeniers of Pennsylvania. Let freedom ring from the snow-capped Rockies of Colorado. Let freedom ring from the curvaceous slopes of California. But not only that, let freedom ring from the stone mountain of Georgia. Let freedom ring from the lookout mountain of Tennessee. Let freedom ring from every hill and mole top of Mississippi. From every mountainside, let freedom ring. And when this happens, and when we allow freedom ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, free at last. These are the words of a flawed man. Every man is flawed. Every man is a sinner. But a man who saw hate every day and decided to respond with love. There's a reason your country, your history, and your culture remembers Martin Luther King. There's a reason... Let me use the words of modern day. There's a reason Martin Luther King won and Malcolm X lost. There is a reason. One preached love, the other hate. One preached empowerment of everyone. The other preached empowerment of one over the other. I would ask you this weekend, if I may be so blunt, maybe listen to that speech. Maybe think about the America you live in. And ask yourself, who do we want to follow? Do we want to follow in the footsteps of Martin Luther King? Or do we want to follow in the footsteps of Malcolm X? I hope you choose wisely, America. My job is always going to be the same, regardless of what way you choose. I'm going to do everything I can to be your biggest cheerleader. I'm not going to cheerlead for either party. I say I know people don't like that. People like me putting on team jerseys. I don't do that. I will cheerlead for your principles, for your ideals, for your foundations, for your history. All day, every day. Regardless of the personal cost to me. I believe your future can be incredibly bright if you return to your principles. 
where you reintroduce America to the ideals of freedom, where government is not the answer, government is the problem, where the people are the solution, where you empower people to take more control of their own lives, where you don't see people as a label, not black or white or young or old or Republican or Democrat, but you see people as an American, and where you empower every American to be free, free at last, where everyone has these rights. Is that America perfect? No. No country will ever be perfect. But that is an America that changed the world, that advanced the world 5,000 years in a couple of hundred years. And that is the America that can advance the world once again. And you can live prosperous. You can live freer than ever before. And then people like me who can never have the honor or the privilege or the benefit of saying I'm an American, I'm just like you, but that I can live in a country like Ireland or maybe some other country, who knows what the future holds, and I can point out to you and say, you know why your democracy and your man's law doesn't work? Here's another option, the law of nature and nature's God. And when they ask me for an example, I can point to America and say, America, look at how much she's prospering. Look at how free her people are. Look how happy her people are. Look how empowered they are. We can have that too. Because as much as I talk about the idea of America, America does not own them. They are nature's law and nature's God. They are not American rights. They are human rights. And we can work together, you in America, promoting America, and me over here promoting the ideals of America for the rest of the world to follow. And we can truly live in a world where we are freer than ever before. Or we can just go, you know what, screw it. It's too much work. Tyranny's easier. When I, I, if the government does it, I don't have to do it, and just I'll focus in on my life and let the government do it. And then we'll wake up one day and we'll wonder where our freedoms went. The choice, as much as it is for Americans to make, it's a choice each and every one of us has to make as an individual. I can't tell you what to choose. That is your choice. You have that right as an individual, as that as a human. But I hope you pray and pray you choose freedom. I want to thank you for tuning in today. This show is available all the time. SoundCloud, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Omni FM. Please share it with a family or a friend. Um, I'd really appreciate it if you consider doing that, sharing it on social media. I want to thank you for tuning in. We're here every Saturday at 12 noon Eastern. Until next week, I want you to have a blessed and wonderful week. We finish up by saluting your police, your firefighters, your emergency personnel, and your vets. The men and women, regardless of political party, regardless of beliefs, regardless of color, regardless of age, of sex, anything. Put it all on the line 24-7 to stand for a better and brighter tomorrow. And lastly, I salute you, the American people. The answer to America's problems do not lie in Congress. Do not lie in the White House. They lie with each and every one of you. Why? because of the sentiments of the Tocqueville. America is great because Americans are good. America is great because Americans are good. That's each and every one of you. Until next week, America, have a beautiful and blessed week. God bless. Freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn. On the Blaze Radio Network.